Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. Hallelujah. We're continuing our series this morning on grace in the darkness. It's interesting, you know, for all intents and purposes, this series is a spiritual warfare series. And whenever you get on stuff like that, you start talking about, you start exposing the enemy and stuff like that, things, you know, it's, it go crazy. I don't even know what I'm talking about. In fact, I'm not even sure I can preach because Jim Fockler is wearing my tie. He came in wearing the exact same tie I'm wearing like this. You know, I just don't think I can go on. I mean, you know. But I want to share a story with you about self-inflicted pain. How many of you, how many of you, how many of you have ever done something that you said to yourself afterwards, I can't believe I did that. But Wednesday night after church, I was, my, my voice was, you know, my, my voice got me through. No, no, it wasn't Wednesday. It was last Sunday. After church, you know, I could, you know, after the worship service, and I could tell about halfway through the, the message that my voice was really was going and so I had to back off a little bit. So by the time I got home, my, my my throat was actually pretty raw. Now why I thought this was a good idea, I have no I, not a clue. But for Christmas or my birthday, I can't remember which it was, Lindsay gave me this little bitty uh, jar of Mike's hot honey. Has anybody ever heard of it? It says honey infused with chilies. No, it's honey infused with ghost peppers. I'm pretty sure. But anyway, it's got a light, it's got a red tint to it. And I had a little bit of it. And so, you know, already, and I mean, this stuff will, it'll light you up. You know, there's no doubt about it. And so here it is of an evening, you know, after church and everything. And I go in and I look down, because you know what? It's sweet, you know, like a little something, a little sweet and everything, a little bit of a to it. So I took the top off of it and took a spoon and put it in there. Started like this. And when I swallowed, it got to my mouth. Suddenly it was a lot warmer than I remembered. And by the time it got to my vocal cords, it was lava. And I'm going, <coughs> like this, and I'm, I'm, and I'm on fire. And Kathy's in the other room like, you going to live? You know, and I'm just hanging on for the burn to stop. And I go, and it finally starts to fade. And then it hit me. I'd aspirated some of it. And so I started coughing again and it came back up. And as I was on fire again, that happened twice. Third time's a charm, right? We will use that sparingly and in small quantities in the future. Oh, man, I'll tell you what. That that one's I, if if the lake of fire is any worse than that. I ain't going. Isaiah chapter 60 verses 1 through 3. We've been using this a lot. This is from the Lexham English Bible. Arise shine, for your light has come, and the glory of Yahweh has risen on you. For look, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples but Yahweh will rise on you and his glory will appear over you and nations there we are talking about nations again shall come to your light and kings to the light of your sunrise 
Darkness will cover the earth. We're talking about grace in the darkness, the power of God in the darkness, the presence of God in the darkness, the authority of God yet in the darkness. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul says, we do not wrestle. This is from the English Standard Version. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present what? Darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil. Darkness. Evil. Sin. Right? In the heavenly places. Not in the heavens where God lives. But in the atmospheric heavens around us. In the days to come. And I'm going to say this again. We need to think biblically. We need to think theologically. When we see stuff. We do not we must not think of it in natural terms or political terms or economic terms. We have to filter every single thing in our lives through the filter. We have to through the through the lens of the scripture, through the lens of truth. We have to think theologically. Um, one of my professors used to say that in school. Think theologically. Think. Well, you know what? We all need to do that. Not just a bunch of people that are trained to be preachers. Amen. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10 says this. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You know, people say, well, you know what? We need to get these people with their, get their nose out of the Bible and, so they can figure out what's really going on in life. Au contraire, the better I know God, the better I understand what's going on around me. Amen. For by me... Speak, this is wisdom speaking. Your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. If you're wise, you're wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone will bear it. You've probably all seen pictures of special forces or even just regular uh, army troops uh, when, you know, they're on, when, when they're deployed. And particularly at night, they've got this little thing up there on their Kevlar, this little bracket, because that's where they hang their night vision. And they can pull the night vision down because, you know, you, know, it's, you get out in a place like Afghanistan or Iraq or um, Africa or someplace like that where the, the light pollution is what they would call it. The, there's not a lot of lights. It is dark, dark, dark out there. And that is exactly what the enemy does is he brings darkness so that he can be stealthy and he can sneak around and people have absolutely no idea what he's doing. But with the word of God, it's like we snap that, that night vision down over us and we can see him moving in the dark very clearly. And to quote one of my drill instructors, what can be seen can be hit, and what can be hit can be killed. Everybody say amen. Now, we're going to get into some theology today, and, so, and you're going to enjoy it. I order you. You will enjoy this. All right? Because I'm laying a foundation here, because we're going to get, in the, in the coming weeks, you'll need to understand this. And darkness here is a metaphor for evil. It is a metaphor for rebellion against God. It is a metaphor for chaos. 
Sinfulness and lawlessness do not bring freedom. They bring chaos. We're seeing it here. Not like we're about to, but we are even seeing it here. And the separation of the light from the darkness, from the righteous, from the wicked, etc., is becoming increasingly stark. That is why the angel spoke concerning it over in Revelation, says concerning Babylon, come out of her, my people, that you may not partake of her sins and the retribution for the same. A lot of really hard stuff is already beginning to happen and it's going to amplify and it's not the devil doing it, it is God. And we're going to talk about that, not today, but we'll get there. This passage where it says darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the people is an eschatological, meaning it is an end time passage. Do not look at that and Judaize it and say, well, that's for Israel. No, that is, yeah, that is for Israel. It's for spiritual Israel. Everybody say that's us. Hallelujah. So don't apply it to physical Israel. Now, Paul, we just read Ephesians 6 and 12, and it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Your boss isn't your problem. The president's not your problem. Congress is not your problem. Amen. None of those things are the are problem. None of those people, your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, you, you know, your brother, your sister, you know, whoever, not, no in person is our enemy. But our enemy, it says, is the, are the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic. I, that's the reason I'm using the... Um, the ESV there because the NASB says world, but I like the word cosmic better because it has, first of all, it, that's the word in Greek. And second, it ha- when you talk about cosmic, you're talking about something that is very, very far reaching. Cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil. These are wicked fallen, inimical spirits in the heavenlies around us. And I don't just mean demons. Demons are bad enough, but these are angelic spirits, watcher class spirits that are of incredible knowledge and power. Now, obviously they don't know as much as they should or they wouldn't have rebelled against God to begin with. All right. But they are very powerful. Make no mistake about it. They are malevolent entities who are behind world events. Look at the corruption in our government. And I'm and we just named the source. Look at all of the things that are happening in the world around us. And we have just named the source. We are in the next few weeks going to show how that this paganism that is returning to our world and particularly here in the West can be directly traced to these wicked spirits. They're the ones who are, who are, who are, you know, who are working. And what's God answer to this? Turn to your neighbor and say, you are. Back in Genesis chapter 8, 9, and 10 through that area, 6 through 10, the, God told the nations that they were to spread out and they were to populate, they were actually humanity. They weren't nations at the time. And they were to populate the earth, spread out, fill the earth. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to stick together, you know, and lest we be scattered abroad. And so, in other words, they became, under Nimrod, among others, they became rebellious against God. 
They rejected and they started building a ziggurat. They started building a tower where they were going to reach the heavens. Though again, this is demonically inspired. And so God disinherited every last one of them. He confused their languages and scattered them throughout the earth. That scattering was not at random. And when you read Genesis chapter 10 and chapter 11, it gives us the so-called table of nations. Now, if you're reading the Masoretic, sometimes you'll see it referred to as 70 nations. Other times it'll be 72. What's the difference? In the Septuagint, there are two of the names that are separated. And so it would be 72. Whereas in the Masoretic, the Hebrew text, it was only 70. All right. And so we had and so they were scattered. Now, that isn't the only thing that here's where it gets really interesting, because God gave them over to worship the host of heaven. What is the host of heaven? Well, just think about the angel, the angels who appeared to the shepherds who were watching their flocks by night before Jesus was born. And suddenly there appeared with him, uh, you know, a multitude of the what? Heavenly host. It's not the stars. You know, they thought of stars. The ancient astrologers thought of the stars as being gods because angelic beings are radiant. Even the fallen ones. You know, everybody understand that he is Halel bin Shachar, the son of the morning, the light of the night. In fact, the very word Lucifer from Latin means light bearer. He is, you know, people, you know, we've, we've seen him, you know, he's got horns sticking out of his head and he's got a tail with a little, you know, arrowhead on the end of it. And he's got cloven hooves and everything. And he's carrying this pitchfork. That is not what the devil looks like. The devil is a being of unimaginable splendor. When we see Jesus over when John the, the apostle sees Jesus, the resurrected, the glorified Jesus, he, you know, here's the voice, the sound of many waters and the, and the radiance, you know, and his feet are like, uh, uh, you know, bronze when it's burnished bronze and it, you know, and, the, and it's in a furnace and it's glowing. And so these beings, these fallen beings, these ones who rejected God are magnificent. They are very, very powerful. They are, and they're a whole lot smarter than we are, at least in some ways. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 8 and 9, and we're reading from Second Temple Rabbinism in the, uh, <clears throat> uh, the uh, uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, etc. Here, the ESV takes this. When the Most High gave to the nations, this would be the 70 or 72, their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of, of the what? Sons of God. Now, the New American Standard will say the, the sons of Israel. Makes no sense whatsoever. It's the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? These were those fallen spirits. Remember in Job we see when he asked, where were you when I sank the plumb line of the earth? When I, when I, you know, when I created the heavens. And the sons of God sang for joy. Who were the sons of God? The divine counsel. Those, you know, Michael is one of them. Gabriel is another one. And, the, you know, the, uh, and Enoch were given. Uh, Azazel is one of them. Several other names. Uh, Raphael is another one. 
etc. You know, those are non-biblical, so don't go out telling people. Pastor said that there are other archangels, and their names are Raphael, Azazel, and Bob. <laughs> you know, <laughs> those that is extra biblical. But believe me, Paul and Jude and Peter were all very familiar with that literature, and they even quote it in, in places. Paul tells us over there in Ephesians, and then again Ephesians 6, and he tells us again in Colossians chapter 2, that those wicked spirits are the enemy. They are the ever-present pushback, the darkness pushback against the things of God. Now, you know, I, I get so excited about this stuff because there's a whole lot I want to share, and I feel like I'm unloading a, a freight car with a spoon. But we'll get there. So he, it says there, you know, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided humanity, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Each of those nations was assigned to an angelic watcher. Now, whether those watchers rebelled against God subsequent to that or before that, they did. They rebelled. And they became the false gods. In fact, we see over in Psalm 82, where it says, God has taken his place, again from the English standard, God has taken his place in the divine council. I know some versions will take the Elohim there as being mighty men, but it doesn't make sense. Here it is. God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods. He holds judgment. That's small g gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak. That's what they were supposed to do. And fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about how? In darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. This is a cosmic event. This is a global event. This isn't just some little political thing that happened. This goes back to that fall and to the scattering of the nations. They, all, all the foundations are uh, shaken. And I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, he didn't say, since you are men, but like men, you shall die. In other words, they will lose their eternal life. They will be thrown into the lake of fire. Like any prince, that word translated prince can also be translated leader. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. Now I want to go back to Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9 again. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance... When he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the Elohim, the sons of God. But Yahweh's portion, God is the, the leader over his people, Jacob, and his allotted heritage. When the nations rejected him, what did he do? He said, fine, you don't want me, I disinherit you. And he called Abraham and built his own nation. You know, isn't that something? God obviously is not in a hurry. Amen. And guess what? We're part of that because those who are of faith, according to Galatians 3, are sons of Abraham. Amen. He is a Jew who, or she is a Jew who is one inwardly. 
Everybody say amen. So who are these gods, small g? We see them in the Bible as Molech, Milcom, Baal, Asherah, Chemosh, Dagon, Ra, Marduk, you name it. Pagan gods. The idols themselves were nothing, but the wicked spirit that was behind that idol was all too real. And we and they're back. They are back in a big way. All right? They're back in North America. They're back in Europe. They're back in Canada. They're back. They're back. Amen. And uh, Stephen in his defense before the Sanhedrin says this in Acts chapter 7 verses 41 and 42. And they made a calf, speaking of the, the uh, generation of Israel that came out of Egypt. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to what? Worship the host of heaven. We are not to worship any spirit but him. No matter how mighty, no matter how glorious, no matter how splendid. When I was um, in the army, um, I was having a, I went through it, and I've shared this before, but we're, we have people watching. And if I get on your theology, if I step on it, I, I, I apologize. For, I don't, it's not my point to hurt anyone's feelings, but at the same time, I've got to tell the truth. And, <coughs> excuse me. I was um, in in the same um, in the same subsystem with a fellow who was a member of the Utah Church, and we were talking about. And I was just freshly filled with the Spirit, and so I was really just beginning to get some traction, really beginning to study the Scripture to show myself approved, and really begin to you know that when I got filled with the Spirit, I had a hunger for the Scripture. I was just voraciously. Hungry for the scripture. And this individual was starting to give me some stuff from the Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, Doctrine and Covenants, and things of this nature, being rather, you know, evangelical from their point of view. And I was saying, no, there's something about this that isn't right. There is something about this that wasn't right. And so I was talking to a friend of mine, and I said, you know what? I think I'm going to read the Book of Mormon. I think I'm just going to read it. And he said, why? I said, because, you know, these guys, and I want to be able to say that, you know, I've read it and whatever. And he said, boy, you need to have somebody praying for you when you do that. And I went, well, okay. But I never did it. And the reason I didn't is because the Lord has spoken to me multiple times in my life through dreams. And he spoke to me in a dream and I saw this very, very clearly. And I don't apologize for it. I'm just telling you what the experience I had. And in this dream, you know, and once again, like it always is, when it starts, I'm asleep. And when it's over, I'm wide awake. And I saw a Bible. Have you ever been in a Baptist church that had a pulpit Bible? They're this big, you know, and it's always turned open to the Psalms because that's pretty much the middle, right? And it'll sit like on a, you know, on the, the altar or whatever they have, you know, right there at the front. And so it's this big Bible and everything. And I'm not criticizing that. That's fine. I've just been in a lot of Baptist churches in my life, and I remember seeing a lot of those. And so there this was. There was this Baptist, <laughs> you know, uh, Bible. You know, it, there is no such thing as a Baptist Bible. But there's this Bible sitting there, and it's 
large and it's got a light shining on it from heaven. It was just like something right out of Hollywood. And then suddenly, if you're looking at it this way, from the upper right hand corner of the picture descends this being of absolutely indescribable beauty. I'm awed at this being. And he looks around and sees that the Bible was the only thing there. And what he did next just, you know, shook me up because he started vomiting books out of his mouth. They just covered the whole area. Some of them landed on the Bible. Some of them, you know, on the little table next to it. They were all over the floor. And I looked over and propped up over in the corner lying against the wall. I saw one of them and it said, Book of Mormon right on it. And I went, I don't think I need to read that. Now, again, I realize that there are people who hold that as holy writ. And I'm here to tell you it's not. And I know that by the scripture. Yes, I was at a point in my walk with God where I needed that. Today I wouldn't. Because I know the scripture. It is better to know the scripture than to need some sort of an epiphany. How many of you are with me here? The epiphanies are more fun. I agree. But, you know. And when God turned them over to the host of heaven... That's what Paul identifies in uh, Ephesians 6.12 and Colossians 2.17. Now, when Jesus was being... Have you got all that? Have you learned anything so far? Okay, well, we're about to ramp it up. Okay, we're going we're gonna to go into second gear here. All right? So, uh, uh, actually, that just shows how old I am. Second gear is now done this way. All right, when it, it says in Luke chapter 4... During the temptation, and he, meaning Satan, Lucifer, Halel ben Shakar, the Nakash, the, the, maybe he was the Nakash, the serpent, led him up and showed him, meaning showed Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. So he showed him all the nations of the earth, all the kingdoms of the earth. So that's countries uh, in a moment of time. And the devil said to Jesus... I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me. And I give it to whomever I wish. Now for years, I preached, taught, and believed that the one who had handed those kingdoms and that domain over to Lucifer was Adam. But it wasn't. We see from Deuteronomy 32 that it was God who handed them over because they rejected him. How many of you follow me here? You're going to be seeing an intensification of this in the days to come where God is just handing, handing some things over. And it's going to get interesting. It was God. Now, so now God's handed them over and what, you know, what happened? They quit worshiping God. When they quit worshiping and serving Yahweh, what happens? We have a vacuum. We all know what happens to a vacuum. Nature abhors a vacuum. And if we're not worshiping the one true God, the false gods are very quickly going to fill the void. Amen. And, you know, but here's the thing. 
Do not think for a minute that the enemy is still in charge of the nations. He is not. The New Testament theologically telegraphs exactly what the Father was doing. Now look at this. This is, I mean, I love doing theology. There is nothing better. Matthew chapter 10. Well, I don't know, a good stakes. Well, anyway. But Mike's hot honey does not. (laughs) All right. Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing. He called the 12 and he sent them out, right? Look what he says to them. Do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter any city of the Samaritans. Rather, go, but rather, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so, the twelve were sent, and he said, Don't talk to the Gentiles, don't talk to the Samaritans, and go only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, does that mean that Jesus does not care for the Samaritans? We know better than that, because we've read the Gospel of John. We know, does he care for, you know, for the, for the Gentiles? We know certainly that he does, you know, uh, because he's, he, you know, he is, he is the, the king. He is, he's awesome. Now, when we come to Luke chapter 10, and it looks like I may have not given uh, Susan that one. Luke, cha- I didn't. Luke chapter 10 and verse 1. In fact, I'm going to look that up since I didn't. I managed to, in my haste, not get that. And I think it's important that we get that. Luke chapter 10. I hate it when I do this. All right. Then, now, this is is later. Now the Lord appointed 70 others. Some manuscripts say 72. Have we heard those two figures before? Certainly we have. Why? Because this isn't just Jesus appointing people, which he did, but this is a theological message here. What? The 12. There's the 12 tribes of Israel. The 70 are the 72. What are those? Those are the disinherited nations. Look what it says about that. Now, after this, the Lord appointed 70 others, and he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going, saying, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord uh, uh, of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Notice there is no prohibition about don't go to the Samaritans. There's nothing about don't you know go to the Gentiles. They had no such prohibition. What is this? This is a theological message that God isn't ju- that Jesus isn't just the savior of the twelve tribes. Jesus, God the Father, is coming after the seventy that He had disowned. Everybody say Amen. John chapter ten verses fourteen through sixteen. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep, which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Everybody say amen. That's us. Hallelujah. In fact, it says in Colossians 2.15... 
And when the father had disarmed, and I put the father in there for the uh, personal pronoun. For when the father had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display over them, having triumphed over them through Jesus. In other words, the devil no longer is in dominion over the world. All of those nations now belong to Jesus. He has given us the nations as an inheritance. Ah! Somebody needs to be running around this room. When we get over to Acts chapter 15, we see James quoting Amos about the fallen tabernacle of David. He says, after these things, this is verses 16 and 17. After these things, I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. And I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest that is the remnant, of mankind may seek Yahweh, seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by His name. Many think that the tabernacle of David was nothing more than a glorified dining fly. In other words, it was a covering, but there were no sides. Anybody could approach. Ooh. The Holy Spirit now deals not just with Israel. He deals, and the saved, he deals with everybody. Now you need to know this going forward. You know, it says in John chapter 1 and verse 9, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens whom? Every man. Everybody say every man. Not just the elect. I, you know, with a tip of the hat to my reform brethren who believe that only the elect are going to heaven and that God predetermines who those are. I believe whosoever will means whosoever will. And whosoever believeth means whosoever believeth. And that, you know, Jesus didn't just die for the sins of the elect. He died, according to 1 John, for the sins of the whole world. The entire world. Sin is no longer the thing that is separating people from God. It, the, the thing that separates us from God is Jesus. He's the only door. He's the only way in. Don't get me wrong. Sin's terrible. And, we're, and it'll kill you. And it is killing people. And we're going to be talking about some of that stuff going forward. But, you know, there is one way to heaven. Everybody say amen. amen. Keep reading here. John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. And Jesus is speaking before he goes to the cross. He said, and when he, meaning the spirit of truth comes, he will convict who? The world, the entire world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I'm sure Paul's going to talk about how hungry the people in Paraguay and Bolivia are when he gets up here next Wednesday. They're hungry for God. They're hungry, for, they're hungry for reality. They're hungry for God. Who do you think is putting that hunger in them? God's doing it. God, it's called prevenient grace. Uh, you know, we're a theologically sophisticated church. We know this stuff. All right? I'm going to... Prevenient Grace. The prevenient grace of God is the species, if you were to look it up, of grace that brings people to the place where they can make a decision. 
Nobody will stand up before God and say, well, I couldn't believe I came from a dysfunctional family. My father was a, an alcoholic or my stepfather sexually abused me. All of those things are horrible. All of those things are, pardon, I'm not using, I'm not being God awful, you know. And, but I'm telling you, none of that keeps God from revealing himself to someone's heart. And every human being on this earth knows that there is a God and they know that Molech and Milcom and Chemosh and all of those and the false gods we have today, the millions of uh, Hindu gods are not, are not the God of heaven. The God of creation. You know, we hear about it that over in Muslim lands where we're having difficulty or if not impossible to get missionaries in there. Jesus has been appearing to families and in some cases entire villages and saying, I am the Lord you seek. Man, that's awesome. Usually he prefers sending people. I'm looking at you. <laughs> he prefers sending people, but where he can't get people... He'll, you know, he is not hamstrung. Everybody say amen. amen. All right. And so he says concerning, he's, he will convict the world. Yeah, I've got to do it. All right. And again, this is because you all have seen this, but I do this because they may not have seen it, you know, online. And that is that when it, let's just say that this is spirituality over here. Obviously, spirituality would be moving to the right, not the left. <laughs> Inside joke. Anyway, uh, and so to make a decision for Jesus. Well, you know, when you're not, a, you're not a believer, when you're a sinner, you got all of this information that is feeding against that. Jim, bring my tie up here. Okay. Jim's going to bring my tie and he's going to. And so this is the world, the flesh and the devil. And it's constantly. Thank you. You're OK here. Move over to the other side. It's OK. You can move over to the other side. Jason, come up here and be the world, the flesh and the devil. Because poor, poor Jim, you know. Anyway, you didn't think you're going to get away with that, did you? OK. Now, this I'm the I'm the I am the non-believer. OK, I'm not a believer. This I'm not a Christian. And so I'm born tilted away from God. Original, original sin, not original guilt, original sin, right? And I don't, you know, I, I, I cannot, no human being can perceive God and can detect spiritual things without God himself revealing himself to them. Because we do not have it in ourselves to be able to so do. So we've got the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, hang on just a second, guys. One of the things is some of the people that you, you meet, when they're walking through life, they're just a little bit off kilter. You know, and they're good people. Other people you meet have got a serious problem. You know. And the worst part of it is here's the enemy doing everything he can to keep it exactly that way. Well, the provenient grace of God is the Spirit of God coming, wearing my tie, and bringing it down. Not, not, not. You know, line up. <laughs> We're just trying to get on even keel here. Bringing it to a place where he has counteracted all of the negative things and brought it to a place where that moving toward God 
is my decision alone. In other words, it's on me. I can't blame the devil or the youth pastor, you know, for doing so. Thank you. God, the enemy cannot keep us from believing and God will not force us to believe. How are we with me here? All right. And Jesus himself said it from the cross. Well, actually, I want to back up. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin because they don't believe in me. Righteousness because I go to the Father. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been cast out or has been judged. Now look at John 12 and 31. Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw the elect? No, I will draw all men to myself. Amen. All men. In fact, in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul says it this way. For the grace of God, just keeps coming back to grace, doesn't it? The grace of God has appeared. Now that word meaning appeared, let's put it in, let's, let's translate what Paul meant there and what that word means into 21st century North American lingo. For the grace of God has shown up. The grace of God has arrived. The grace of God has made, you know, is, uh, when I was a cop, 1097, we're, we're, we're on the scene, all right? Bringing, his, his, uh, bringing the offer, the possibility, the power for salvation to all humanity. He doesn't force us, but he brings. The Spirit of God is dealing with everybody, everywhere. Amen. And there's nothing, nothing the enemy can do to stop one who desires salvation. You have a pastor that says over in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, that the enemy has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they may not perceive the gospel. That's where prayer comes in and we'll get into that. All right. Here's my point. Going back to what we were saying here. It's a decision. It's a choice. It's my choice and no one else's. Salvation is your choice. It's your choice. Nobody can make that decision. If you, you know, if you're wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The enemy can influence, but he cannot force. He cannot compel. Why? Because he has been stripped of his authority. He has been stripped of his power. That's what, you know, whatever is in my heart. Now, that's the end of my introduction. We'll get into the meat of this. Now, actually, we're two-thirds of the way down here. As we move into these days of judgment, and we're here. Okay, we're here. I've lived for this day all of my life. And so part of me is like, yes! And part of me is like, whoa! At the same time. But we have got to have confidence that God is in control. Amen. Amen. Whether that is in D.C., Ukraine, wherever. All right. These are days of judgment. And scripture is quite clear. When you see the revelation of John, you see all those crazy, terrible things happening. It was actually God that was doing it, not the devil. Because he is dealing 
with unrighteousness. He's dealing with sin. He is dealing with rebellion. And we have to have that decision made. Do not decide you're going to go with God when the storm comes. Decide today. Do not decide. Those of you watching by web. I want to encourage you, make the decision to believe God. You're going to believe God. You're going to trust God. You're going to go with God today before the storm hits. Don't wait until the winds begin to blow. It it, it could be too late because faith does not grow as fast as air. It's true. Now I want to go back to that passage from Acts where Stephen says this. I'm going to quote the whole thing. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. Um, But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. Now listen to this. Did you bring to me slain off to me slain beasts and sacrifices for 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch. Moloch was the hungriest child sacrifice God of the, in fact, he's back in a big way. All right. Uh, the, the flesh of young children was his favorite thing. And if you, if you know the way that children were often sacrificed to Moloch or for to Baal, Baal for that matter, it was horrible. He says, you took up, you took up the tent or the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God, Raphon, which would be, that's a, a Saturn. The images you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Wait a minute, what do you mean? You took the tent of Moloch and the star of Raphon. There is no way Moses would have allowed the erection of a tent to Moloch in the camp. There is no way that Moses would have allowed or Joshua or any of the Levites would have allowed the, uh, the, the uh, ascension, the setting up of the star of Raphan in the camp. How could he say such a thing? What, what do you mean? Well, the tent of Moloch and the star of Raphan were not out here. They were in here. They took them in their heart. Even though... They came out by the hand of Yahweh. That that paganism, that desire to rebel against God was still in their hearts. And that is why they couldn't believe God to get in to the promised land. It was that that led to the murmuring. It was that that led to the complaining. It was that what, am I scaring anybody yet? It was that unbelief in them that kept them. Remember what happened when, uh, you know, the, the ten spies gave an evil report and the two spies gave a good report. And the people are like, they just wept all night. Oh, you know, and how many times? Oh, how good we had it back in the world. We had leeks and melons and all this. You know, you know, isn't it amazing how when, you know, the enemy can come and paint your B.C. days as being something you really miss. Ah. <laughs> the, and, and, you know, and so, they, and so they woke up the next morning and said, oh, we've made a terrible mistake. And so what did they do? They compounded their mistake. 
They said, no, we're, we're going to do it. We're going to go up. You know, we're going to believe. And Moses is going, don't do that. God just told you, don't go. You go up, you're going you're gonna to get smeared. Don't, don't do that. And they went, oh no, we can do it. And so in other words, they're saying all the right things. They're saying all the pious things, but their hearts are still not right. And what are they doing? They're going in in rebellion. They're doing what was the will of God day before yesterday, but is not the will of God today because of the rebellion. And so what are they doing? They're staying. It's like this rebellion wasn't enough. Now we're going to do this. Well, the pastor's on a roll today. God is dealing with this generation today for us to get those things out of our hearts. I don't, I'm not, and I realize, I, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here. But you need to have that night vision on so you can see that's what's happening around us. God in his mercy is disciplining the gods of Egypt and it is not going to be an easy or smooth ride. And more, and when they came out of Egypt, they came out a mixed multitude. Many Egyptians attached themselves to the Israelites because they saw the soup slapped out of every single one of their gods to include, and especially, Ra, the sun god, who was the head of them all. Darkness in the land of darkness, you could feel a darkness so thick, and no lamp you lit would penetrate it. God is dealing with this generation. There has been, and I, I can't talk about it today, but we'll get there. There's been a sea change in the world. A complete sea change in, in the world. You, you probably look at it and say, I don't understand why some of these things are happening. You know, none of this stuff happened before. Why is it happening now? Because God has made a change. We'll get to that. But not today. That, that's the end of the commercial. All right. Now let's go back and we'll, we'll close. And if our two musicians we have this morning would come. Hallelujah. Yeah, we're running with a short, short crew today. But they did a great job, didn't they? Amen. God is bringing the heat. I know some people refuse to believe that, but the scriptures are clear. And we'll get into that more as we get. When you, you read the revelation of John, it's clear that the father knows how, to, knows how to romp and stomp. He knows how to pour out wrath. He knows how to pour out judgment. It's so funny because when you, not funny, but it's so, it's so heartwarming when you read that there's one, you know, whether you're at the, the, the scrolls or the, you know, the bowls or the, the, the trumpets. That between every judgment, there is a space. Like birth pangs. Where after every judgment, he's giving people time. It's a sila moment. Think about it. Turn to me. You know, stop running away from me. Stop calling for the mountains to fall on you and cover you and hide you for the face from him of him who lives forever and ever. And, you know, this sea change is a big deal. It, in other words, we are, uh, we are we're in an acceleration. Remember the Lord told us that in 2019, that things are accelerating. Um, if you've ever driven a car, you know this, that the faster 
you go, the more critical the steering input becomes. You know, things, you know, if, if you're, if, if, I mean, if, you know, have you ever seen somebody do this? They're, they're, and they drop their phone, you know, or something like that. And they reach down to get their phone and without thinking, they cause their car to swerve. That's how a lot of accidents happen. Well, you know what? At 25 miles an hour, that is not as critical as if, it, if, if we were going, if you were going 120 I mean, just that little like that, and you've got the car in the ditch, turning over and over, and all that kind of stuff. Well, what I'm saying to you is that as we get closer and we go deeper and deeper into this thing, little things that in the past wouldn't have been a big deal suddenly can become major. Are you with me? All right. And, uh, you know, so here we go back to... um, we go back to uh, Titus 2.11. And, but I want to attack 12 onto it. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. Now remember what salvation is. Salvation isn't just born again. When Jesus turns to the woman with the issue of blood and says to her, Woman, your faith has made you well. He actually in the Greek says your faith has saved you. And in virtually every place you see a healing... The word salvation, soteria, is the word that's actually used. And so salvation is more than being born again. We need salvation each and every day. We need salvation uh, for, in, in verse, we need deliverance. We need the manifest power of God in virtually every area of our life. And it comes through obedience. Look what it says. And it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us. The grace of God teaches us. Once we're born again, the grace of God begins to teach us. Okay, this is the way. Walk in it. Instructing us to deny ungodliness. To reject worldly desires. To live sensibly righteously, godly and godly in the present age. He's not saying that because he wants to deny us fun and make us weirdos. He's saying that so that we don't wipe out and wind up in the ditch or fall out of the sky a smoking hole in the ground. And so, in other words, once I start walking in that self, once I, you know, okay, so we've got the prevenient grace of God. God has called me. I make the decision. Okay, Jesus, I accept you. And now it doesn't end there. I don't just make one decision for Jesus. I make tens of thousands. Every day I have to make that decision for Jesus. Every day when I'm confronted with certain situations and I've got a choice, I have to make that decision for Jesus. And that is what the grace of God is there to help me, to help me with. Ephesians chapter 2, this will be the last scripture. I know you're getting, well, at least you don't have to worry about whether or not the Chiefs are going to win. <laughs> they should settle that on Saturday more often. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the, tres- in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, what does he mean by walk? In other words, your lifestyle. Look at this. Following The course of this world. Following the prince of the power 
of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of what? Disobedience. You know, we've gotten so liberal in the North American church that if you tell people you better obey God, we need to be obedient. They're ew, because we don't like to be told what to do. We don't like to be told, you know, you know, they, they, uh, I even saw one church that was apparently had adopted the outback thing. No rules, just right. And that book, The Shack, where God the Mama says, I never laid any requirements on anybody. I don't have any expectations of anybody like that. What Bible are you reading? And those expectations are not for his benefit. They're for mine. Amen. Amen. When Aaron was growing up, we made him go to school. And there were times he didn't want to go. He ran into some things there that were a problem for him because the enemy saw his hand, God's hand on his life. Well, before, and I mean, you know, we made him go to school. All right, get up, go to school. But you know what? There came a time in his life when he decided he wanted to go to school. And he went to school. Then he went to school again. <laughs> then he went to school again. Now he's got two master's degrees. I don't know how many it takes, but all right. That's the way it is with God. There are times in our lives when we, our, our Father will discipline us. He will instruct us, etc. But there comes a day that we grow to a maturity where we don't need to be instructed in that area anymore because we're walking in maturity. And think what we can accomplish. Actually, it's not us. It's His grace through us. But I want to come back to this. Look at this disobedience. What is disobedience? It says you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Look at this. Following the course of this world. We're not called to follow the course of this world. We're called to follow Jesus. Following the prince of the power of the air. So when I'm walking in sin, when I'm walking in, 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 in rebellion, walking against rejection of God, when I've made the decision, well, I know the word says this, but that is unbelief. Among them, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of what? What's that word? Everybody say it out loud. Wrath. Like the rest of mankind, the rest of humanity. Salvation is a choice. God offers it. You know, we talked about tithing today. That's one choice. That's, that's just one of the many choices, you know. When a husband and wife have a dry spell and they, they, they struggle in their relationship, it's just like the enemy to send someone into one or both of their lives in order to entice them to get into some sort of an adulterous relationship. You've got a choice to make, don't you? Right there. We all know what it is. We, you know, I don't need to multiply the examples. The fact is that we don't just, as I said a minute ago, we don't just make one decision for Jesus. We make tens of thousands of decisions. Every day he says, take up your cross. Deny yourself and follow me. We're going to be looking at that over the next few weeks and how 
that even in this time of increasing darkness, first of all, we're going to be looking, part of it is we're going to be looking at how that darkness manifests and how you'll be able, when we're done, you'll be able to say, that's the devil, that's the devil, that's the devil, that's the devil. And you're not pointing at people. You're pointing at what they're doing. Are you with me? All right. How that corruption its nothing but the old paganism repackaged and brought back today. And God is dealing with it. He is dealing with it. And I don't, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to be in Babylon. I, I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be out <laughs> because God has great and mighty things for those who will trust him. Those of you watching by web, I've gone a little long today. It's been a lot of material. You might need to go back and watch some of this again. And if you don't understand it, I would encourage you to do so. Because this is serious stuff. We're headed into some very, very serious stuff. One year from today, the world will not be as it is today. It's going to be very different. And if you want to be where you need to be and in the place you need to be, you need to be in the kingdom of God and not under the dominion of the enemy. Not everybody is born again. Not everybody will believe. Not everybody wants to believe. But those who desire to know God, He calls and He will not reject. I don't care where you've been, what you've done, how nasty it was. You have a future in Jesus if you want one. It's your choice. He makes it available. It's your choice. How would you do that? You'd just say, Father God, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe you've raised him from the dead. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I make you Lord. Not just Savior, Lord. I want you to be Lord of my life. And if you will approach him that way, he will transfer you from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And there's nothing better than that. Christian, watching me, if you're still with us, I want to encourage you. Start saying yes to Jesus. Even in the little things in life. Remember, it's the little foxes that can spoil the vine. And even in the little things in life, make Jesus not just Savior, but Lord. The Lord spoke to us over 20 years ago and said that a lot of Christian people are going to suffer mightily because they were too casual about their faith, meaning they hung on to an awful lot of unbelief. They thought it was freedom, and it wasn't. It was death. It's a strong word, and I know it, but we're living in strong days. Hallelujah. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone, available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily, all one word, dot O-R-G, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.